What's that? Hang on. Yeah. sure it makes sense to me yet um, if I try and try and summarize what you said and then maybe we can we can see where I'm not understanding or, or, or maybe I haven't so I'm not sure um, so Iona is sharing uh, that she's having problems with the idea of the lattice and and kind of as any kind of map or of what imaginal might be and and certainly as a demand of what imaginal might be um, and rather her sense of imaginal, which she thinks she's getting from Hillman, from James Hillman, um, it is, uh, is more that <coughs> anything that arises in the psyche is image. Yeah. Um, and when, when, when she pays attention to her experience, it's, uh, a lot of the images don't seem to have these qualities that we're uh, identifying in the lattice. Often, yeah, and to require that often would be, that Yeah, yeah, okay. So, um, and to require that of them would, would feel wrong. Yeah, <laughs> so, um, these, these, you know, I didn't invent the word imaginal. Uh, it was actually Henri Corbin. So Hillman got it from Corbin. Corbin me- meant uh, something... Hillman meant something very different from Corbin. 
and quite different from Jung. And uh, in a way, uh, I would say what we're unfolding here is different from the Hillman as well. There's there's overlaps between all that, and I would say that um, uh, certainly, well, Corbin really didn't like Jung, <laughs> and and his and and uh, probably didn't like Hillman as well. Hillman had huge respect for Corbin. You know, it's and people would borrow, you know, because you borrow authorities. So and so said this because it anyway. Um, but so so basically, there's this word, and and uh, what do we do? <coughs> what do we do with the fact of two things? That a that people are using it in different ways, and there's more ways than than that. Now it's become, as I said, right right in there when I, I introduced that. It's getting quite popular this word in certain circles, and people mean quite different things by it. And then some people are not quite sure what they mean by it, or or it's very very loose or whatever. So that's just a kind of fact of a social fact, you know, a <coughs> linguistic fact or whatever. Um, what do we do with that? And then what do we do also with the fact uh, that um, I, th- I would say I would I would include those, let's take those four: Corbin, Jung, Hillman, and and what we're doing here. Um, all of them would discern a difference in uh, quality or kind of uh, of images. You know, not just you can have an image of your mother, you can have an image of your father as different contents, but different, really ontological status or whole different kinds. Of, so um, we somehow have to. Either you just say everything is image in the sense of everything is perception, therefore it's image, you know, it's like, and that, that's an important, you know, dharma-wise, that's an important, everything, can you see everything, everything is a perception. Now, we could just put everything as an image in, in, in that language. And that, that kind of view of things is really helpful, but it kind of, it will unfold an insight, a different kind of insight into dependent arising, into fabrication, into fading. Also, it just, just having that, just having that view. Everything is perception. Everything is image. Will already bring a certain kind of liberation and spaciousness in relation to all that. So that's great, but in itself, it won't be at least what we're calling soul making. It won't. It won't unfold in a certain. It will unfold in a slightly different direction towards more spaciousness, more equality of things, etc. Um, I think what the from my. Uh, what I'm trying to communicate with that is not so much a demand as um, an understanding of image as dependent arising, or as of the imaginal as dependent arising, and just saying that either if you uh, in time maybe these aspects will be noticed. So um, you know, my a mother image. Um, if I linger with it and bring all my sensitivity and all that, and and if it's not squeezed a certain way by a conceptual framework, um, it it will probably unfold the, these things. Is is my let's let's just call it a postulate, a, the, a thesis, you know, something to be found out, um, rather than a demand, and rather than it should have this or and even then the in in the range. I don't know anyone who's mapped out the complete territory of, uh, you know, the kinds of images human beings can have and what is, um, a psychic phenomenon, you know, ESP and what is, I I don't know, maybe, maybe there's someone who's done it, but, 
one thing to be sure, if they've done it, that person, at some point in human history, somewhere or other, it will never be to everyone's satisfaction. And going to be someone else saying, no, 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 no. So um, there is a kind of, if, if we take a step back and say, well, what do I want? If I want that kind of expansive, liberative freedom, spaciousness and equality, then I just, everything's an image in the sense of everything's a perception. And I just practice that as a way of looking and, you know, you know, that, that will create space and its own kind of beauty, its own kind of limited soul making, but more it's spaciousness making, liber, liberate, liberation making, etc. Um, if I want something called, something what we're called soul making, then it's like, then, then a certain conceptual framework, a certain kind of attunement of the being and the sensibility <coughs> and the attention will help that to unfold. Um, so, what arises in perception, whether it's imagination perception or this, is always a dependent arising. Partly what it, dep- it arises dependent on is the conceptual framework. So, partly even uh, the idea of what soul making is and what it what it can be, or different ideas, will will unfold in different directions. Um, so, rather than a kind of, I think the ontological claim isn't isn't kind of this is an absolute. It's more like this is a possible a possible unfoldment which some people may find uh, <coughs> deeply valuable. Does this? How does this sound? Yeah. So you know, at the end of the day, it, I took a call on the lattice thing. It, 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 it I, I retain my autonomy. In other words, it's up to everyone to decide. Well, what do you want? And and if I decide I want this thing called soul making, or at least what we're calling soul making, then these kind of ideas, these kinds of sensitivities, attunements, this kind of conceptual framework might well serve that in a, in a, in a very long-term way, a way that can kind of keep going. If I decide I want something else, whatever that something else might be, then I need a different kind of... And, and as a human being, I, we think it was yesterday I touched on, I can actually move between those so that I could... Um, from one minute to the next, go into this all is image, everything is an image, um, in that sense of giving an equality and a, a spacious liberation to um, the image of my mother as historical um, fact, and, and for kind of more conventional psychotherapeutic uh, reasons, if, if that's what I want, or imagination as just to think of my mother and I think I should call her because I haven't spoken to her for a while. And, um, and then to the, what you know, it's like I can, one can move between those rather than kind of adopting a, again, a rigidity of, of posture, orientation, conceptual framework. <coughs> so, how does that sound? <coughs> yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I would encourage everyone to have this kind of autonomy of uh you know i'm i'm not interested in imposing any, anything on any anyone at all um so y- y- you you find find your own, own way and your own kind of what you're drawn to or your own range of <coughs> options at different times and that that feels really important to me yeah okay thank you yeah so, so, yeah Both of that soul making and, uh, <coughs> and level of 
fabrication and complexity think it's partly because we've been talking a lot about the kind of imaginal and the, the lack of difference that often then things so filmmaking is kind of one point in that and yeah just kind of just finding between the two but so the the question about kind of level of fabrication is kind of from so yeah as an example there's, there's a particular experience which which describes it it feels like it's fairly it's a kind of state of relative unfabrication. Um, and but it's and it's very um, very kind of body based, it's very visceral, very kind of like um, no kind of primordial stew like um, but that's kind of a, a an idea that I've then kind of left on after. But so for me that state and the, the movements that come out of that state. They, they feel fairly un, relatively unfabricated compared to kind of the other states of movement and images, and, um, but they still, and it, it feels really, really important to my being and to my soul in in my kind of conception of it feels important to my being, but it feels very different from, uh, you know, so with imaginal images, there's the, the sense of kind of depth and resonance and just the mirroring and the kind of like the different levels and that, that whole complexity of it. And so my question is, in just in, in the way that you're using these words, filmmaking, would you say that the that experience in itself is filmmaking, or would you say, you know, because I can also see that the way that I then relate to that and the way that that kind of comes into my life and, you know, then that becomes filmmaking or complexifying. Do you see what I mean? Where does the filmmaking rely on that kind of um, complexification? Let me see. Um, so there's a certain kind of experience that's quite common that you, that you have that feels uh, like relatively unfabricated in, in a kind of liquefaction of the body and sort of... Um, and then there's movements that come out of that that feel very primordial and very important to, to the soul. And the question, if I understand it, is, is that by itself soul-making inherently so to speak or is it that what then um, uh, resonates out from that in my life and how I relate to that and how I hold it and and that that is soul making yeah okay good yeah so um, both (laughs) in the sense of um, Sometimes I kind of think I wonder if I think about everything as a spectrum. You know, I, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> it's almost like there's there's soul making, and then there can be just more soul making. You know, and so the second thing that you're talking about, how you then relate to it, how you how you choose to honor it, how you turn towards it, how you um, listen to that sense of this is important. You know, and how that then expresses in your life and your choices and all of that. Your 
conceptions, uh, you know, um, all that is kind of further amplifying the soul making, further filling it out, you know. But it might be that um, it, it it might be that something just feels by itself soul making this thing, and 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 the reason is um, because it feels like it's. Um, it has, well, in our language, it would have a lot of those nodes, nodes, you know, the grace, the givenness, the sense of I'm, I'm discovering something as much as creating it, um, the meaningfulness, you know, all, is, does this resonate? Yes. Ah. The, in, in that statement itself, there, there aren't really those, like, things like the nodes, mm-hmm. Soul making is fabrication. Yeah. So this state that you're describing is definitely not unfabricated. It's, as you say, a relative lessening of fabrication, which in itself is one of the nodes. It's kind of loosening of things. Um, but there's, uh, I, I would say, you know, just as I, you, you know, you've heard us say, and we said one of the concepts, there's always some concept operating. There's always some meaning making, or, or often some meaning, and, but it might not be articulated or fleshed out or, you know, but it's there kind of implicit and you, you sense it and you're, you sense it and you're kind of assenting to it, I, I, I would say. Um, part of what makes it soul making, we've just thrown this out occasionally, is the sense of something expanding. You know, so that might be there. So it's almost like this is given, and it and it's stretching something. I'm not saying it will, but it may come to a time uh, when it it in itself doesn't feel soul making. It's rather that you've you've then, in the best possible way, made more of it, so that when it even comes now, it feels like more. Do you understand? It feels richer than. Um, it might be uh, that things that feel soul making. Uh, Catherine and I were talking about this uh, over the last months. It's like something, f- imagine someone just coming on their first insight meditation retreats and they've, they've never heard anything about being with your heart or opening a heart or working with your emotions and they discover all kinds of stuff in their grief and rage and beauty and tenderness and openness and vulnerability. That discovery is opening up the psyche and that, and that, and it, it, it will feel soul making. After a while, that in itself is just becomes just part of one's life. Similar with the jhanas. You know, there's an opening of like, wow. And it feels like that, wow, the psyche, the sense of existence, the sense of self and being and what's possible is, so for that newness is, is this stretching that's part of soul making. And then after a while, if if you get really into the giants, they just become part of your life. It's like it's just normal. They're not in themselves any more soul making. Um so so it could be that part part of what, what's happening is is you is with this is it's still relatively new. But if you keep relating to it the way you are, with this kind of honouring and listening and reverence and sensitivity, it will probably the experience itself will actually gain richness. And so that when it comes, even in even in those times where it's more direct, it it will be a slightly different, more expanded, richer, more complexified thing than it was in the first place. Does that make sense? How, how does that sound? Yes, yeah, no, I think I think that makes sense. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> it's really good to add that not everybody experiences that on the first insight meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Okay, first, first 25. <laughs> um, somewhere in there, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, I have a couple of notes of this. Did someone? Um, okay. Um, in the exercises that you both have given us in engage with one another, um, it feels like there's a rhythm of um, meta, um, gentle inquiry, checking with energy body, and so on and so forth. Would that be a, a, a model for us to engage with soul making ourselves? In in with other people or in no, yourself? Not, like yeah. Oh, um, I mean, not the complete thing, but just. A yeah. I, um. In in a way, yes. I don't know that it needs to be so quite so linear. Um, this retreat that we may be doing in June, I think it's called Foundations of Soul Making Dharma, and partly it's a double meaning with foundations. It partly means um, what are the personal prerequisites that I you need to have to make to make this work, without which it's not really going to work. You know, um, what and one is uh, I, I would say awareness of you know bodily awareness energy body awareness emotional awareness emotional ability to 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 care you know to and to to handle well what arises yeah that without those those two skills and also without the kindness so if i if i don't <clears throat> if i'm regarding what happens in myself with judgment and unkindness and dismissal and um there's, there's not going to be there's not going to be the capacity for soul making you know um, so there's there's probably just those are three right Ener energy body emotional let's call it awareness and skill two or three and and uh, and just be, you know kindness w with one's own psychology and being those are three out of more we could enumerate um, kind of prerequisites for to do this kind of practice um, whether eventually it's a bit like when we did the meta in those exercises and i kind of said well, okay you don't you, you actually asked it was you but asked do we need to keep keep doing it when we're listening do you remember asking that and um in a way i i think there's a way you can kind of when these things are kind of established as more just almost easily accessible and almost habitual then then you can kind of let let them go a little bit especially the, the meta because it's just there and if i need it i can bring it as a kind of content but it's kind of there as a backdrop so, so right now, it's like I just feel confident that there's meta here, you know, and, and I don't have to kind of keep, uh, I mean, I could, I could but, uh, it's just there as a, as a kind of, yeah. Um, the, and then rather than doing it linearly with the emotional awareness and tracking and the energy, it's more like it's, it's concurrent as we, we sort of built up to that exercise. Can you share? It's really hard to speak and really be, did you notice this? And be <laughs> aware as you're speaking of what's happening. 
Um, so it's one thing to, to listen, even that can be quite hard, to listen to another, take them in with the senses as fully, and track your own process. That's already quite a skill. To do it yourself, you know, but, but eventually we want this to be concurrent. Um, so if you're working on your own, yeah, the whole kind of, the whole multifaceted process is, is going together. If we separate them, it's an exercise. So, so we're practicing this foundation. And then that foundation, you isolate something. It's like when you practice, you know, in, in music or something, you want to, this, this thing, you isolate it and, 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 and then you, you develop it and then you put it back into the mix. Does that make sense? Um, does that cover what you, yeah? Okay. Oh, Andrea, yeah. Um, they may or may not be quite long. So do you, do you want to ask her? Versus receptive when you're working on the binge. Create, discover. Create, discover. Well, no, it's more. I think how, I put it in as a, a another kind of spectrum that they relate to. Okay. Like yeah. How okay. How active you are messing. Y- yes. Yes. Okay. Versus just kind of mm-hmm. receiving it. Um, and I just the examples obviously can't be concrete that you give us because. I mean, examples of images because they're so different. But I sometimes find I'm working with an image or I'm bringing an image in and there's a sense of I'm moving this thing and I'm not giving it autonomy if it's too active. Mm-hmm. And so then I try to pull back into the receptive or uh, discovered thing and it doesn't quite manifest there. I'm checking the energy bars every time to see um, what's alive there. But I, di- I didn't know if there was... Is that the process of just, you know, it's almost like playing the paint and not liking exactly what you see when you sit there. Mm-hmm. I remember you talking one time about John Coltrane and where he appeared in the womb, this particular place. <laughs> I sometimes think of that when I'm thinking, oh, where, it is, where does this image want to be? Do they want to be behind or in front? So I didn't know if, if that's something that comes in time, of just a dexterity of working with images or the- um, uh, so Andrea is asking about if I understand the the sort of this uh, range that we have in relating to any any practice, actually not just imaginal, that can kind of lean all the way to the sort of very active end, and all the way to the very receptive, just let it happen. And yeah, yeah, and and so is what's the question? Is there is can we develop more? Or, or? Can we develop more active? Well, the active seems a bit clunky and cumbersome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this is this is really, really common. Um, and again, not just talking about imaginal practice. I'm talking about a- any practice. Um, we try to be active, and and it gets really clunky and forced and um, too 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 pushy. You know, too much efforting, too tight. And, and then sometimes even a whole other level of, of judging oneself that one should be able to, you know, this and that. Um, so I think, I think to me, even outside of the realm of imaginal practice, this, this is part of the sort of, uh, right effort, ba- balance thing. And in, I would say instead of like one point on, on that spectrum, uh, at one point where we just kind of reside and that's where we do our practice, I'm always kind of, almost entirely receptive and I just 
Um, I, I would welcome, I would encourage that the whole spectrum, the exploration of the whole spectrum. And, and to develop skill, I have to know what it is to be, to make too much effort and, and to, and be too active and know what that feels like. The thing is, every moment is different. So it's like, you know, the, the uh, Again, I, sh- I shouldn't give surfing as an analogy because I've actually never been surfing. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think what can happen in time is is that the the doing we learn how to do really really subtly. So if we if we relate that then to what we're talking about this week, sensing with soul and and the lattice. One of the things is just noticing. I'm not actually making this thing happen or or demanding it. I'm just noticing what what can I notice and the very very delicate attuning of of an, of the attention to some aspect or other that's maybe just a little bit kind of I can't quite make it out and then just that that aroma of it really really subtle it's just a noticing it's just an inclining of the attention to notice something that that noticing something brings it alive and then something so so when we talk about doing it's um it, it, it can be really really gross you know like when you're nodding and nodding and nodding in meditation and uh is it can you do yeah go do some walking meditation do a brisk walk open the eyes um cold water on the face stand up breathe deeper you know that's a really gross doing and and sometimes uh, th- there are times when there's a real place for that you know and then uh and it might be the, the same experience almost almost the same degree of sloth and torpor another day needs something so much more subtle i just realize oh there's this just tiny bit of resistance to to i'm not even sure what and i just soften that something gets clear and emerges maybe in the heart and i pass through that i work with that and then uh, i just hold that maybe yeah not even that i just hold that and and then the energy comes back so it's not it's like part of the art i think again of all practice is is this kind of willingness to 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 try different things to develop the, the the different ranges and 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 not to know in the moment not to have this formula of this is what i do and it's always going to be like this and so i don't know how, to, how does that sound that's was well, is, is it missing something no no I, I mean i have more ideas about it but i didn't so what was the thing about john coltrane then that, that well, about putting him in a certain place oh yeah. Yeah. Again, as a writer, personally, um, where where do I want this figure? And then, oh, stop that, stop. Just um, so there's a little bit of uh, 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 okay. Yeah. So so two things. Um, one is that where do I want this figure? It's like who is the I asking? Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So okay. <laughs> well, the autonomy is there. Yeah, but maybe it gets it's. Um, so if we go back to Hillman, for, for, he he would jump at any kind of um, uh, and and flinch at any kind of uh, practice of the imaginal or, or active. You know, um, I would say something slightly different. It's it doesn't matter 
how much huffing and puffing and, and deliberate intention and activeness there is. What matters is the sense of soul making. Yeah. So it might be, you, you know, I'm sure many of you had this and you think, I just made that happen. You know, I, 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 you know, it's, and then you think, oh, that's the ego. And the ego is bad. And it's bad in Buddhism and it's bad in other spiritualities and it's bad in Hillman and it's, you know, it's like, so, um, uh, what I would look for more is, is again, this just, I don't know. It's a responsiveness. <coughs> maybe if it was my ego, whatever that is, uh, maybe it was coming out of an excessive yanking, but then maybe, it, it suddenly becomes soul making. And that's, and then we sense when something's soul making. And, and so it doesn't matter how it got there. It doesn't matter at all. It's not this principle of this is good and that's bad. It's just like, if, if it's soul making, you can feel that those soulful resonances and trust it at that point. Um, the thing with John Coltrane, so I've moved, I've moved. I don't live at Guy House anymore. And so we can't be in the same place. Because <laughs> I have a different room. Um, but uh, he, he, he still comes sometimes. And, and uh, when he comes, actually he and another figure, uh, this kind of, I don't know exactly who he is, some kind of Sufi, Sufi teacher or something, and they sit at the end of the bed. Um, and it's, it's, they both share the same spot. And um, it, it doesn't matter. It's not that it has to be or not, but it just might be that you know, I can't even tell. Do I put him there, or does it? Does it? Does they just like they just like that? Particular <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it kind of it doesn't really matter. It's like trust the sense of salt. You know, um, and if something doesn't feel right, you know, you can. I would use the word play. Right, you can just play very delicately. But sometimes play just means like, what am I attuning to? And it's so, it can be so subtle and so kind of unpressured and unforced, you know. And I go back to what I said this morning, it's like, don't, don't force sense of soul and don't imagine that it's going to be there every time. There's plenty of times where nothing really worked, you know, that's fine. Um, yeah. So don't, too, not too much pressure. Um, there's there's two questions I, I won't get to these so um, unless someone someone else has one live one. no it's why well, they're, they're long and I, it's already you know I uh, well I okay actually I'll do I'll do these yeah is that okay Karen? yeah yeah <laughs> sorry yeah so I don't put that and take it back yeah um, sorry. Uh, so this is from a few days ago, which I didn't get a chance to uh, 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 respond to. Um, you spoke a little last night, so this is already some nights ago, I think. I think about what people need for permission to work with the imaginal. And when you said Eros, that really hit a chord for me. So I was wondering if you could speak or write a little about why it is important, why sexuality is important in soul-making, why it is necessary. Um <clears throat> So, uh, like all these things, it's like, if, uh, once we go into it with soul, it just becomes huge. So what's the, the involvement of eros and sexuality? So, um, the way we're using the word eros is more than to, to mean sexuality. So sexuality is one manifestation of eros. Actually, you can have sex without eros in our, in our book. Um, 
but eros is this um kind of uh, movement or some kind of movement or desire to uh, towards the beloved other uh, some kind of movement to to know them more to to be more intimate to touch them more to be touched by them more to uh, enter or fill out or open that that's what eros is okay so it's it's a very small definition and Eros has within it this other Greek god called Pothos, and Pothos is always looking beyond. He always wants more, always more. So, so that creates a certain dynamic. Eros wants this intimacy, enjoys the intimacy, and wants more, more. Um, and so that, that, uh, part, part of that can be sexual, um, but that whole movement of the psyche, you could say, that, 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 movement of eros is um is something that drives this whole process with the eros psyche logos uh, in the way that we described is this so so it's, it's a kind of on on the ab, abstract level it functions as a concept that really kind of holds everything together and and, and is the catalyst to uh to unfold is the catalyst for this dough uh, the bread to rise does does that much make sense? As I said it quite abstractly, just as a sort of bare concepts. Yeah. Uh, so we've covered that a lot, but to me, that 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 whole eros psychologos business is is kind of is really one of the linchpins of, of all this work, and understanding it um, can really kind of. Uh, understanding it and, and getting familiar with it. Uh, can itself be soul-making and will be part of what really galvanizes the whole process of soul-making, is understanding that eros logos, what we call the soul-making dynamic. So that se- sexuality, sexual longing, sexual desire, sexual energy, is is one manifestation of eros. It's a kind of eros. Uh, and, and that within it has a huge range. And sometimes in, in the being, there's, or in the, even if we're doing imaginal, uh, work, there's so much eros that it kind of has to become sexual. Uh, not necessarily in any act, but in, in the image itself. It's, it's, a it's, um, it's holding a kind of intensity of eros, which, which is part of the, the depth and the richness of the psyche. Is this making sense a little bit? Um, but then also from from turning it around a little bit, so so it's like if we're going to have the fullness of soul making, we need to have uh, we need to have the fullness of our eros, and our eros will manifest needs to be able to manifest how it kind of wants to at any time. So sometimes it's very very subtle, not at all sexual, and sometimes it's very very strong and dramatic and forceful and not at all sexual. And sometimes it's subtle and sexual, and sometimes it's intense and sexual, or in, in the imaginal realm. Um, fr- from the other perspective, um, I said that as the soul-making dynamic c- kind of gets more into our life and, 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 and our life becomes uh, involved in that, more and more aspects of our being and our existence um, get drawn into the soul making dynamic, one of them will be sexuality. So, so in other words, sexuality gets made soulful. 
So it might already be quite a lot for many people in our culture for sexuality to be heartful. Uh, and, and let's not underestimate that, you know. Um, but se- for sexuality to be soulful, what does that mean? Um, and again, this might be the a- actual, you know, uh, physical sexuality, sexual, sexual a- acts, but also just sexuality, the whole realm of it. And then part of that, that will touch on the body to be uh, in soul, to become subsumed, to be given dimensionality, to give this sense of sacredness, etc. And it doesn't mean just light, it can be dark as well. Yeah, Body, sensuality, the senses, sexuality, they, they become drawn into and ignited in, in the soul-making dynamic. Yeah? Um, so... It's necessary in the sense that it's it's necessary to the fullness of of the process of soul making. It's it's necessary that it spreads out that way, and eros is necess- is fundamentally necessary to soul making. No eros, no soul making. So how, does that sound okay? Uh, okay. I know you probably covered a lot of this in Hume's Confetti, but in a shorter 44 hour <laughs> how does, hypothetically, how does one uh, manage that eros going out of the tree when the sexuality, hypothetically, is completely inflamed and stop one going forever like that? There's a lot about that, um, which I, I think I did cover in those things. Um, I think I think the, the, the clue. I come back to the abstract for now, Lawrence. So some some of it's energetic. Okay, what often happens when the sexual desire is the desire uh, and the energy get kind of cramped in some place or other in the body. They don't have. They're not. Um, they're not given space and the energy itself, and and that and this relates to can I bring the whole energy body in? So that in itself um, uh, m- makes it hard to tolerate, and I have to act. Do, do, I'm, I'm, do, does this make sense? Yeah. So there's an energetic of it that's really it's really really I mean, for all kinds of reasons really good to to experiment with all kinds of reasons. And then there's a whole other level that, in talking about the eros-psychologos dynamic, if I, if everything is just flat, flatly material, and just just what it seems to be to conventional agreed perception, then the pothos in the eros that wants more can only go if we're talking just about sexuality. We could be talking about anything, food or anything at all, where there's craving. The the, the eros it wants more, and where can it go? It, a, it has to go into material manifestation, and then I'll get bored of this particular material manifestation, this particular partner or whatever it is, and I'll seek another one. Because it can only go horizontally. It can, it, there's only, I refuse dimensionality because I'm not engaging the sensing with soul. And so the eros that wants more can only go, and I, and I, I want another high or another, do, do you understand? So, but if I allow the eros if we use a certain language, to inseminate psyche, to fertilize psyche, then 
the image I have, and it could be an image from life that I, it, I, the, the dough rises. Yeah, and it's allowed to become imaginal. And then the more that pothos and the eros wants, it gets more by the virtue of the dimensionality, the complexification, the multi-aspectness, the divinity. The, and, and, and actually it doesn't need the uh, just endlessly horizontal getting my, uh, satisfying my craving. Eros, this, this um, wanting more, can either go into craving, and it just demands more and more, it's insatiable, the Buddha said, this unquenchable thirst, tanha, it, but it, I can only go horizontally, because I just, I, I refuse to see, or I'm not encouraging a sense of dimensionality. If I do that, then there's a sense where things can, I, I'm getting what I need, in the dimensionality, and then there's more, and it grows more dimensionality, and, and the, the pressure is then, I'm talking about, so there's an energetic pressure we were talking about just before, and there's also a kind of psychic pressure, but it's getting, it's got more space to, to, to be, to get its needs met, its desires met. Does this make sense? Yeah. Uh, I lost what you just said. Yeah. Uh, I, see, I was kind of thinking in the bigger picture for, I know that's come up for me, that question. Yeah. And it would probably come up following the last answer. I can't think. So, so that's, uh, see, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't understand, but it seems okay. Is it? Yeah, okay. Um, not just for my benefit. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We have, you know, um, we have so much good stuff in our culture, but the way, and, and so much, you know, sexual liberation and sexual possibility that perhaps wasn't there in different places in different times in, in history. And we have so much other stuff that's good in our culture. But... Um, we also have a lot of difficulty with with that, you know, that free, freedom sexually, and and kind of we're given different challenges, and 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 like so many other things, it's like we could say from a certain perspective that they could use being more ensouled, you know. Um, does it? Does that make sense? It sounds like Lawrence answer, but in terms of that dynamic, that that that. <laughs> um, and that's not to say it's always easy at all, and uh, not not at all to, to imply that at all. Um, but one can have choices, you know, given by the amp- by the Im- imaginal amplitude filling out gives one more choices. And it's not to say you, you should or shouldn't, you know, within the limits of ethics. But um, but but there's there's space there that can be filled in. Um, there's a question here about reality and ontology. <laughs> I, I resisted asking a question about ontology because I, I imagine that it would take too long, but if somebody else... <laughs> <laughs> um, let me say something very brief. Okay, I'll read this note and then say something very brief because... Part of what I want to say is ontology is endless. Does everyone know what ontology means? It's the, it's the branch of philosophy that deals with the question of what is real, what reality is. 
So this comes up um, because of what we're talking about. So we have a typical kind of cultural norm of what's real and what isn't. And imagination is definitely not real category in, in the typical cultural norm. When you start doing this kind of practices, it, it starts to uh, raise some of those questions. So um, this person wrote, sometimes I have the perception, sometimes I have the perception that I am autonomously creating slash discovering an image, but at others I perceive the image to be autonomously creating slash discovering me. This is quite uncanny. Given the equal emptiness of all things, i.e. our equally insubstantial claim to inherent existence, truly mutual perception in co-creating, discovering each other raises some perplexing ontological questions. (laughs) (laughs) I would be grateful if you could clarify. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be grateful if I could clarify. Um, So let's just see. So what... What's kind of important here? Um, a, a lot. I, I find this, I, I think this this part of, so go back to the eurocyclogus dynamic. This is part of exactly this thing happening, that when I start to do this way, and when I move this way, and I have repeated experiences, it pushes on the logos, part of the conceptual framework. Part of that is, what oh, is real. Yeah. So that's part of it expanding and pushing on, on, on the logos, yeah. It's part we would expect this kind of process. Um, the relation, like when we when we see that everything is empty, that that functions in in one sort of very basic way in in relation to this work, and then possibly other ways. But one of the basic ways it functions is that when you, if for someone who really goes into the emptiness thing and the fabricating and unfabricating and understanding all that and that whole depth of that journey. Um, and you see that absolutely everything is empty, as, as the note says. It, what we can say about everything is that fundamentally they're equally empty. Um, what that does is, it. one of the things that does, one of the most basic things that does, is it relaxes a, a kind of um, objection in, in the consciousness that says, um, that's not real. Because, and it came up in another Q&A, implicit in that that's not real of whatever experience I've had is the hidden whole set of assumptions about something else is real. Once you see everything's empty, then that whole whatever I'm thinking is real gets kind of relaxed. So the whole dichotomy of real and unreal just gets really loosened. Does this make sense? So that what that does is it's a slightly different thing than to say everything has exactly the same reality status than to say everything is has the same kind of emptiness status okay so um that that's an important point and as i said going back to i think it was iona's question i don't know anyone that's kind of mapped out all, all this ontology or would ever uh map or it could never be mapped out to everyone's satisfaction one of the interesting things I find about ontology, which which really I'm, it, it, it's a really important subject to me, I'm fascinating, etc. There's a there's a movement in modern Western philosophy of people who say, because we can't arrive at any final position about reality and unreality, let's just drop the whole ontological business. It's just a waste of time. Um, I find that not very soul making. 
Um, and, and what you'll notice in the people, in the certain philosophers that do that, is exactly an absence of soul-making. And, and, and also a default fallback. So they might say, yes, 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 we can't say what's real. But in their lives and the way they live and their commitments, they're falling back to just the conventional modern Western view of what's real. It hasn't that giving up of ontology... Um, it might be quite fashionable in certain modern philosophical circles, but it's actually, it's not a deep giving up. It's a, it's a just a kind of, nah, shrugging and going back to how one lived before anyway. I don't think humanity, however long, I don't know how, how long has humanity been around, and all the different cultures and all the different histories and all the different thinkings and perceptions, I don't think that well, we haven't arrived at any conclusive ontology. I and mean, we have certain ontologies that people favor at different times, but in the sense in modern Western philosophy that we can't. Um, I think it's endless. Ontologizing, if that's even, you know, kind of thinking about these things and changing our perceptions and, and, and adopting different conceptual frameworks about reality and not reality and what is, um, that's endless and it's part of soul-making. Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. It's part of the logos getting caught up and activated in the eros psyche logos dynamic. Yeah. Now, there's one more thing. Why? Why am I ontologizing? Um, or, or why? Why? Uh, why do we do ontology? Oftentimes, it's because I want to arrive at the truth. What if I was ontologizing because I want to soul make? It's a different purpose. It's like, what's the purpose? Do you, do you understand? Um, and so that's quite a that's quite a, a radical difference of intention. Um, I'm not going after some kind of finally objective truth that humanity will then, right? We've done that tick, and uh, maybe the nature of reality will remain an endlessly fertile mystery that we can again participate in in that creation discovery of the reality of reality, and that's part of the whole soul-making journey. Yeah. Um, if we hone down in on this on this uh, note a little bit, um, again, I would expect this kind of experience in in the very unfolding of of the imaginal work. Again, because of the autonomy, and there's this kind of flipping. It's it's still create discover, but it's just flipped around. Um, and then what is it to be able to, like, seriously entertain that conceptual framework that I am being, I and my life is being created and discovered by some image that in some sense has, you could say, <coughs> more reality than, than me. But I'm not settling on that as something that I'm going to, you know, then argue about or, or convince others of as do you understand? So there's this, again, there's this malleability of the kind of deepest level of conceptual framework. But the, again, the question is, what happens apart, I didn't know what the word uncanny meant, because what does canny mean? It means... Knowing. 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 Okay. Uncanny means weird. Okay. Okay, weird. It means what? Yeah, Okay, so, so it's weird. It weird. weird. It's weird. Yeah, um, it is weird. Um, the, 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 you know, it's certainly weird compared to most modern Western ways of looking. There probably are other cultures that may may have something like this. I think 
what I would prefer in terms of practice is someone has arrived this this ex, this complete flip of experience and conceptual framework has emerged out of practice in I think the most beautiful way is that fair to say and um, and it's startling and opening and radical and rather than then look for another culture or philosophy you know because I think oh is it like it's all Vishnu's dream or something like that is that is that somewhere? Is that? What's that? Yeah. So that exists. I could go and find that, but something might die for me in the aliveness of that, of that very experience and the way I'm, it's unfolding in my practice. I'm not, again, going back, I'm not demanding anything. It's emerging. And then what's my own personal ontology, if you like here, my own conceptual, what does that do to my soul? So, there's ontology for the sake of soul making and the experience, like inhabiting that experience. What does it do to my sense of existence and life in my journey when I have that sense? And I don't need to make it a gospel truth. You understand? But I can have a, a real kind of entertaining, a real seriousness about it, uh, in, in terms of its reality status. Does that, um, so that's all I'm going to say about ontology for now. Is that okay? Is that right? Okay. Let's let's have a bit of, a bit of quiet. <clears throat> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org/slash donate.